welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning. Great to be together this morning, to be able to just worship the Lord and uh, come to His Word. We're in... Uh, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 29 this morning, if you want to find your, find your place there. We're uh, looking at um, this uh, man Jacob. Could, uh, we're following the, the adventures of Jacob at this stage right now. And uh, we're seeing the Lord is um, at work in his life. The Lord had chosen uh, Jacob, uh, despite him being, you could say, a hill-grabbing deceiver, as he's uh, presented, but uh, his life really highlights um, and magnifies the grace of God, and as he works in and through uh, this man, and God is going to uh, uh, bring Jacob. To a place where he's willing to um, trust him rather than trusting himself and his own ability to manipulate and to connive and deceive to get uh, to get what he wants. But uh, as we noted last week, it's uh, it's a process in Jacob's life, and it's really oftentimes a process in our lives as well, isn't it? The Lord works in our hearts and. Sometimes uh, we're stubborn. Sometimes we're slow to learn, and um, it takes uh, it takes some time. And it took a good long time in Jacob's life, but uh, we see God's grace, and part of that grace is a discipline um, or teaching. We could say we we're really looking at uh, God's training program in the life of Jacob, and uh, when. Oftentimes we experience uh, difficulties and trials. They come in different ways and they come for different reasons, but in all of those, God is uh, behind the scenes. And uh, as His children, He is working in those things for our good. And, and so one of the things that uh, we need to ask when we're, when we're facing trials or troubles is what is God trying to teach me? What what does God want me to learn? How does He want me to grow? How does He want me to change uh, in my life? And as we see with Jacob, uh, God also uses people and circumstances in the life of unbeliever to bring bring them to a point of uh, conversion, a point of of a, a reality in their life. And so let's look at this uh, as we continue in chapter twenty nine. And we'll see Jacob, he's been at, uh, he's at Bethel, as we looked last week, and now he's getting ready to continue his journey. Verse 1 says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. A little phrase there, he went on his journey. The Afrikaans Sofertaling said, To lich Jacob seifete op. Uh, very literal uh, rendering there. Lift up, he lifted up his feet. 
And that little phrase there implies that uh, there's, a, there's a new step in Jacob's walk. He's up to the first part of this journey from um, uh, up to uh, Bethel. He's been running for his life, really. He's been running out of fear. He's running away from home, running from his brother Esau, who's threatened to kill him because he's deceived and connived and cheated him out of his uh, birthright, just according to the way he, he saw it. It belonged to him, and uh, Jacob now is running. But at Bethel, you remember, God gives him the promise of his blessing, the promise of his presence. If you want to look back in chapter 28, verse 15 says, Behold, I am with you. As God speaks to Jacob in the, in the dream. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Well, this, this gives Jacob courage, no doubt, this great promise and um, revelation from God has really emboldened Jacob for this journey. And uh, he does pick up his feet, it seems. And he's the next thing we read, he's in this region of Haran, a trip that uh, we can estimate was about two weeks uh, journey. And, and so we see Jacob arriving uh, there. And in, um, in Haran, the area where his mother's uh, father and uh, family is from. And it's interesting, and in this long section, all the way down to uh, verse 30, there's no reference to God. Uh, but as we look at uh, what God's doing, we can clearly see his providential hand at work. And. Uh, just as God had promised, the, the angels of God are ascending and descending on this stairway of God's providential working in Jacob's life. Uh, look further from verse 2, which reads, And as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered, there the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. And Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? And they said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, Behold, it is still high day. Is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together? Water the sheep and go pasture them. And they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well and we water the sheep. Uh, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother Jacob, came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Well, 
Some would read this, they might say, wow, that was fortunate. That was, uh, you know, real lucky for, uh, for Jacob. And, you know, he, he, he arrives at uh, this certain well. It just happened to be the, the well where these shepherds would be that knew Laban. And it just happened to be the well where uh, Rachel would bring her uh, father's sheep. That's really fortunate, isn't it? <laughs> and sometimes things happen in our life and we say, wow, you know, that, that worked out really well. Um, but we know that God is providentially working in uh, Jacob's life and God is, is on the scene and, and blessing Jacob here. We're also reminded of some 97 years before when uh, Abraham's servant, Eliezer, had um, come to this same area and met um, uh, Rebecca, uh, uh, Jacob's wife, or Jacob's, I'm sorry, Isaac's wife. And so this is Jacob's mother that had uh, this very similar kind of uh, situation, might have even been the same well. We, we, don't, uh, we don't know uh, that, but it's in the same area. And... Um, there's some parallels there between the two occurrences as you go back and uh, read about that um, uh, many years before. But what is missing here in this account is any uh, reference to a dependence upon God. There, there's no acknowledgement that God had blessed and that God had led. You don't see Jacob praying like uh, Eliezer Abraham's servant had prayed and, and, and asked God to bless and provide and show him his will and, and direct him and, and all of that. The things that you would expect of, of someone that um, uh, trusted God and depended upon God. But here, we don't see that yet. We don't see Jacob at that place of uh, dependence upon God. Uh, what we see in Jacob is, uh, is what we talked about last week is I'll, I'll do it my way. And as I saw this picture, I thought, you know, that's really Jacob there. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a woman, but it's the heart, isn't it, of Jacob. Uh, determination that I'll make it happen. I don't want to listen to, you know, uh, somebody telling me what to do. I'll do it my way. Well, Jacob, as he arrives at this well, he sees these shepherds uh, just kind of taking a siesta. They're, just, they're lounging around, waiting around. And um, when Jacob hears that Laban's daughter is coming, he, he implies to these guys, hey, you, need to, you need to get with it. You need to get up and get, you know, get these uh, sheep watered. And uh, he, he may have just been trying to get rid of them uh, because he's interested in... Um, and the daughter that's coming, but these guys were kind of like the uh, the work crew that's being paid by the hour. You know, they're not they're not in any hurry. <laughs> they're they're not interested in the, in what this stranger is uh, talk, telling them about. But when when Rachel arrives and um, uh, Jacob sees her, I mean, he springs into action. He doesn't wait around for these shepherds. He just Jumps up there and he, you know, he, he, he energizes himself with all of his energy and moves that stone out of the way himself. <laughs> and uh, he starts, uh, you know, 
drawing up the, the water, the jugs of water to feed um, Rachel's sheep. And uh, wow, she, she must be quite impressed with this uh, man. You know, who is he and where did he come from kind of thing. And uh, we read on here that uh, verse 11, And Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. We mustn't imagine there was any kind of romantic kiss because later we see him kissing uh, Laban also. So this was a, this was more of a you know a greeting kind of thing. Verse twelve and Jacob told Rachel that he <clears throat> that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and, and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Well, everything is going well for Jacob. Jacob may have even had the thought, well, you know, it looks like um, my plan is working out pretty good. It looks like even you know the having to leave home is is worked out here all right. And and you might look at it and think, well, his lying and deception has really paid off. He's uh, he's found his relatives, and more importantly, he's he's found Rachel. Seems like it was love at first sight. And uh, Laban has welcomed welcomed him into his home, and he's even said, "You're, you're, you're my bone and flesh." You know, it's like real endearment there. But what he doesn't know is that Laban is even more of a deceiver than he is. And and Laban, uh, he soon realizes that Jacob is at his mercy. I mean, Jacob, although he's the he's the a son of a very wealthy man. He's come there empty-handed, and he's been. He, Jacob may have not told this part, but he's fleeing from his brother. Uh, he probably told Jacob quite a bit about what what's been happening. Verse thirteen says, and Jacob told Laban all these things. We don't know what all these things were. He probably left out the part of his deception, but he may have told him that he had received the blessing of the firstborn. He probably told me about the God appearing to him in the dream and, and telling him about how he was going to bless him. We're not sure about all of that, but, uh, but Laban uh, is in it for himself. He sees uh, opportunity. And he's going to take advantage of Jacob. He's going to take advantage of the fact that uh, he wants a wife and he's very interested in, in uh, Rachel. And it reminds us that it's just like or very similar to Jacob taking advantage of his brother and his desire for food. You remember back when he tricked his brother into um, uh, giving him his birthright. Well, Laban is, is going to take advantage of this desire that, uh, that Jacob has. And Laban, he's really just acting according to his own selfish desires. He's, uh, he's that kind of person. He's, he's really in it for, for what he can gain, what he gain for himself. But God is going to use Laban. He's going to use him as, as his instrument to teach Jacob the true nature of his own heart. Notice in verse 15, 
Then Jacob said, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what should your wages be? Now, this sounds like a pretty good offer. I mean, uh, Jacob, he's probably been working, helping out. He's no doubt been going with, uh, with Rachel to help take care of the sheep. Uh, he's probably done some other things, whatever Laban you know, wants him to do. He's been there for a month and everything's, you know, looking great. And, and it sounds like Laban, you know, he's saying, we shouldn't work for nothing. Uh, you know, what should your wage be? But he's really wanting to bring Jacob under a type of binding contract where he can, where Jacob will serve him. And, uh, and so he, he has the advantage uh, because he knows what Jacob wants. And he's there kind of at his, uh, at his uh, pleasure. And we see this parenthetical statement uh, in verse 16 and 17, just to kind of clue us in a little bit. Now Laban had two daughters, and the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel's were beautiful in form and appearance. Uh, we, we don't know totally what that means. There's speculation about what it means for Leah's eyes to be weak, but we do know that, um, that Jacob preferred Rachel over the older uh, Leah, and evidently um, <laughs> Laban had, um, he probably had that problem before of um, men coming around wanting the younger Rachel. And uh, so Laban, he's, um, he's got a plan. We don't know uh, exactly uh, when uh, and how much of a plan he had, but it may have been from the very beginning. And Laban, is, uh, as we will learn, is really more concerned about himself than he is um, his daughters, ultimately. He's a, he's a very selfish, self-centered kind of person. And so Laban, um, he's got a plan. You'll notice in verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because he loved, because of the love he had for her. Well, Jacob, he's still carrying, carrying on doing things his way. He's, he's working out his own plan. We, do, we don't see him uh, stopping and, and, and asking God for wisdom. We don't see him involving God in his decision making. And you can remember the, the statement last week we made that when you do things your way, you may get what you want, but only to find out later that it's not what you thought it would be. And it will cost you more than what you want to pay. And we really see that coming true in, in, J in Jacob's life. Uh, Jacob here, he, he makes a large offer of, for this bride price. Um, it's, it's so large that uh, Laban doesn't even negotiate. I mean, we expect Laban to, you know, to say, no, 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 you, we'll do this and that. But uh, Laban, it seems that his plan is working out better than even he had imagined. Uh, Jacob offers this um, seven years of labor. And um, I've never worked uh, with sheep 
but uh, <laughs> I've read that the, that's not easy, easy going, being out in the elements and uh, taking care of sheep who are not known for their intelligence and, uh, <laughs> and all the problems and the dangers and, and all, the, all those things. And so this would have been hard work. I read, I read one writer who, from other secular writings, has estimated that Jacob is paying as, as much as twice the normal price for uh, for his bride, but he's happy to pay it. I mean, that's he's uh, you know love is blind and sometimes, and so he's just saying, you know, I don't care. I'm I'm happy, and time went by, and he's ready, he's ready for his um, his wedding day. Well, let's read further, verse twenty one. Then Jacob said to Laban, "Give me my wife," and that kind of implies that um, uh, Laban wasn't in any hurry. <laughs> to, to to do what he had committed, but Jacob's not letting him forget it. Uh, Give me my wife that I may go in to her for my time is completed. And so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went in to her. Laban, and that's another uh, Additional information here in verse 24, Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. Verse 25, and in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? And why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week for this one. In other words, the, the wedding ceremony week. And we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. And so Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And Laban uh, gave his female servant Bilhad to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. And so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Wow, what a story. Uh, Jacob, can you imagine? He must have been so mad. Uh, he, he must have been so indignant. I mean, how could Laban do this? How could he be so deceptive? And we see Jacob going and confronting Laban about what he had done. I mean, he must have uh, come with all the righteous indignation you can imagine uh, and to talk to Laban. But can't you hear Laban just calmly saying, well, that's just not how we do things here. I mean, you could have, you could have told me that before, Laban. But now he says, no, that's not the way we do things. The, the younger is... It is uh, not given uh, before the firstborn, you know, the older. Well, there's probably a lot that uh, Jacob had to say that's not recorded here for us, but um, uh, what could he do? I mean, he's, uh, he's kind of trapped here. If he wants Rachel, he's going to have to work another uh, seven years for her. And in all of that time, I wonder... Um, how long it took Jacob 
to make the connection between him and Laban. Uh, when, when Laban makes the statement that Leah is the firstborn, he must have thought about the fact of his brother being the firstborn. And this trick that's been played on him, this deception, this lying, this trickery, uh, it, it must have um, reminded him of himself. As you think about the parallels here between Laban and Jacob, I mean, Laban, uh, he, he took advantage of, of Jacob's desire for Leah, just like he had taken advantage of Esau's desire. And Leah had schemed with her father just like he had schemed with his mother. And Laban lies and deceives him just like he had lied and deceived his father. And so God is using Laban to teach Jacob about himself. To cause him to see himself for what he is really like. And sometimes that, that's what it, it takes in our lives. Sometimes the simple... Uh, teaching or preaching of God's Word is not enough for us. We can see other people's sin. We can say, you know, that, that, that message was really good for so-and-so. But we sometimes fail to see it in our own life. And sometimes God brings people or sometimes circumstances to open our eyes and to cause us to stop and think and see uh, our own need, our own sin. Well, it takes... Another seven years plus another six years for Jacob to be ready to humble himself before God and to really um, come to an end of the deceiving ways that's in his heart. As we read about Jacob, we, we can say, Jacob, why are you so slow to learn? Jacob, why are you so stubborn? But if, if we're honest, there's a little bit of Jacob in us also. We, we, can, we can also sometimes be blind to our own sin and not recognize our need. We tend to deny our own sins and excuse them. And, and sometimes God will, will allow this training process, the discipline of the Lord in our own life to open our eyes. This... Uh, this difficulty of God's training program in, in Jacob's life would, um, would ultimately bring him to a, a point of crisis that we'll, we'll see later. But I, I wonder this morning, is God, God's teaching program brought you to a point? What's he doing? In, is he doing something in your life, bringing you to a, to a point where you're, you're, you're willing to turn to him and trust him? You know, it, sometimes we think about discipline as um, like judgment. But that's not, that's not God. God judges His enemies. But for, his, for those He loves, He disciplines. And God's discipline is because of His grace. It's because He loves us that He, he disciplines us so that we, we don't remain in our sin that we would repent and, and confess our sin and turn to the Lord in dependence upon Him. When Jacob, I'm sorry, when God told Jacob back at Bethel that He would not leave him, He also meant that He would not leave him in His sin. And so we see God in His grace working 
in Jacob's life and he's going to have a lot of difficulty, a lot of struggle uh, over, a, over a long period of time, 20 years, um, for Jacob to really come to grips with the problem in his own heart, in his own life. If you will turn with me in closing to Hebrews chapter 12, I just want to read a few verses there and uh, draw the connection here to this reality of uh, God's love and God's discipline, God's teaching program. Hebrews 12, in verse 5 says, Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. The regard lightly just is the idea of, of disregarding it. We don't, we don't allow it to um, accomplish its purposes. We don't appreciate what God is doing. Sometimes we could even become resentful towards God because He's allowed certain things in our life. Do not regard lightly. If you, in the ESV study Bible, they describe discipline as suffering that teaches us something. The, the Greek word padia uh, there is, um, it's, it's a common term for child training. And um, the, the study Bible says child training through instruction, training, and correction. Those three elements there are part of uh, a parent's training of their children, the instruction, training, and correction. That's discipline. So there, those are very positive um, aspects there, positive concepts to train, to, to instruct, to, to correct. And uh, that's the point that the writer of, of, um, of Hebrews is, is going to make in Hebrews chapter 12. I notice him from verse 5. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And he's going to quote from Proverbs 3. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. Is it for discipline that you have... Sorry, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, in other words, all that, all that the, the Father loves, He says, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so the writer of Hebrews is admonishing these believers. And when the writer of Hebrews writes, he's, he's got this, we could say, a mixed multitude in mind. He, he's got in mind those that are are believers and he's also got in mind people who claim to be believers who are not uh, yet uh, fully given their heart to the Lord in faith and so he he writes with often back and forth between believers and unbelievers in this admonition but he's admonishing us to persevere in faith uh, to uh, to have endurance and he began the chapter you remember talking about running a race and he's, and he's going to come back to that theme. And so that's, that's the, the, the thought that he has here. And he's admonishing concerning this uh, steadfastness 
this uh, uh, continuing to be faithful. Uh, and, he, and he basically says two things. One, um, to, to encourage us to persevere through the difficulty and suffering. One is knowing that, that our Father loves us. And um, when often, if you go through difficulties, if they're severe enough, it can cause us to question. You know, if God really loved me, would He, would He allow this? And um, He's reassuring us that it's because He loves us uh, that He brings trouble into our life, and through the trouble, He loves us. And secondly. He has a purpose in it for us, for our good. And we'll, many times we'll never know what those purposes are. We'll, we'll never know this, the, the reasoning. Um, maybe in eternity we might, uh, we might learn that. And sometimes in our own life as we look back on things, we can see how God brought, brought things about for our good. But many times we don't. We just cannot see that. And so it comes down to trusting the Lord and trusting God. Sometimes God brings these troubles because we are um, we've departed from the Lord, or we're we need to be turned back to the Lord. Uh, and there's many many different way reasons. Sometimes it's to strengthen our faith. Sometimes, like when we saw in the life of Abraham. The, the trial that uh, he had on Mount Moriah in offering, offering his son. It, it wasn't because Abraham had sinned and needed to re repent. It was because God was taking his faith to another level. He was putting, putting him to, his faith to the test to cause him to grow in his dependence upon God and his trust in God. And so God has his purposes in our life. And, and oftentimes if we we don't examine our hearts oftentimes we don't grow as we should until God brings brings about his training program into our life let me close with the invitation in similar words in revelation chapter 3 verse 19 says those whom i love i reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent in that context, the church that he's writing to there has um, uh, turned away from God, putting the, the wrong, had wrong values and idols in their heart before God, and God is calling them to turn back to Him, to, to repent. And then we see the invitation, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. That's a, a, a very endearing invitation, isn't it? The fellowship with the Lord. And the Lord calls us regularly to, to, re, to turn, to repent, to change our thinking, to come back to him and to knock at the door, so to speak. Uh, and we'll find that he's there. He's there uh, drawing us into Himself. But this invitation is also for the unsaved, for the unbelievers. God in His love convicts and challenges. He sometimes brings suffering and difficulty in, uh, into a person's life so that they will turn 
to the Lord. We think about um, the Lord Jesus Christ and what He suffered on the cross, the, the cruelty and the humiliation of the cross was for all that would turn to Him in faith. And those that turn to Him in faith will be saved. And so you might be like Jacob and see yourself as a pretty good person. I can imagine when, when, uh, when uh, uh, Laban deceived him there on that night in the morning. Can you imagine that, <laughs> that? That it just says in that one little phrase, "And behold, it was Leah." <laughs> I mean, he must have been so angry with Laban, and he's thinking, "I'm such a nice guy. You know, how could he deceive me like this?" Many times, um, people that haven't put their faith and trust in Christ is because they are like, I'm such a nice guy. I'm a, I'm a good person. But the Lord wants, wants you to, to realize that although you're a good person, uh, as far as comparing to other people, there is no hope for you apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. We all come guilty before God, sinners before God, some worse than others outwardly, but we all have the same fallen sinful heart that is in opposition to God. And God wants to draw you into Himself. And so my prayer this morning is that your, your eyes would be open to see your hopeless condition without Him and that you would turn, turn from your own way to God in total dependence and trust in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your grace in our lives. Thank You, Father, that for those of us that know You as our Savior, we realize and we look back, we, we, we know that it wasn't because that we were good or that we were faithful or that we had more faith than someone else, but it was because of Your grace in our life. It was because of Your long-suffering and Your mercy that You drew us unto Yourself and showed us who we were and brought us to a point of, of conviction and, and repentance that we would uh, uh, acknowledge You for who You are and come to You in faith and believing. Lord, I pray that if there's some here this morning that You've been working in their heart and You've been convicting and You've been showing and opening their eyes, I pray that they would come to You in full surrender and faith uh, as your Lord, as as their Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray for us as believers that uh, we might uh, we might allow you to grow us and change us, that we'd be quick to respond to your teaching and to your admonition, and that we would not be like Jacob and take twenty years to come to a point of surrender, that we would not be stubborn and and uh, and difficult and uh, slow to listen and slow to change but i pray that um, our hearts would be tender before your word and before you and that we would would keep our hearts open to your word and and be be able to um, by your grace uh, see our our heart in its condition and continue to grow and not hide our sin and not um, deceive ourselves but that we would allow your spirit to um, to convict us and to show us and that we'd keep our our hearts humble before you 
so that you can bless us, so that you can change us and conform us to the image of Christ. That would be our greatest desire, that we would, uh, would glorify you in, in likeness of Christ. May it be in, so in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.